He is worthy to be praised. That's why we're here, isn't it? To praise our Lord and Savior. He's worthy of our praise. Well, my name is Rex Person. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Point. And for this period, I'm your interim pastor. This is not a new experience for me. This is the third time I've been the interim pastor here at Grace Point. The first time was in 1999 when Jerry Stipp, one of our uh, beloved pastors, uh, he ended up having a brain tumor. They found it on a Wednesday night. Uh, They did surgery on a Thursday, and by Saturday he was gone. It was a difficult time in the life of our church, uh, losing a pastor that was dearly loved, a dear friend of, of mine and my wife's. But Lord was, the Lord was faithful. He passed away on Saturday. On Sunday morning, I had to preach to a congregation that was shocked by the news. I had been up from early hours of Thursday all the way to Saturday around 8 o'clock. In that time, I'd had two hours of sleep. And so I was running on empty. That night, I went home and, and I just told the Lord, Lord, you're going to have to give me the words to say, because right now all I can do is lay my head down. I'm exhausted. And I trusted the Lord. I went to bed at 8 o'clock that night and woke up at 4 o'clock the next morning. Went in and had breakfast at Denny's. I had a big breakfast because I knew I needed to have some sustenance for that day. Went to the office and there was Phil Ketchum. We met about 5 a.m. I said, Phil, are you ready for today? Are you trusting the Lord for all that he has for us? And he says, I'm ready. And he went to his office and playing the music. And I went to my office and asked the Lord, Lord, what do I say? And over those moments, the Lord began to reveal to us what we should say to a congregation. And it was very clear that God's hand was with us. I preached that Sunday morning, and then that Wednesday, uh, I was asked to preach at Jerry Stipp's funeral. And pastor Bill Morris was our music pastor at the time, and he came to me and said, Rex, we would like for you to preach Jerry's funeral. My answer was, Bill, I, I can't do that. Uh, I'm too tender-hearted. Uh, I won't make it through it. They asked me to pray at my grandfather's funeral, and I stood there for two minutes to get my composure before I could pray. I won't be able to do it, Bill. He said, Karen and the kids have asked that you do it. And I said, Bill, I can't. And they would really like you to do it. I said, okay. Again, the Lord was faithful. He gave me the words that I should say. On that Wednesday, God was with us in that service in a mighty way. I stood and I preached from the Word of God in a way that I'd never preached before. I felt the unction and the power of the Holy Spirit in a way that I'd never experienced before. I led the casket out of the room with pastors falling behind me. And when I got on the outside of that Assembly of God church there on Coliseum Boulevard, just through the door, my knees began to buckle. And as if the Lord said to me, Rex, I have carried you. Walk. Through that interim period, the hand of God was with us 
in a mighty way. There were people who commented, Rex, this is not you, this is God. It was obvious to everyone that this was the presence of God empowering ordinary people just like you and me to help us to move forward. During that interim period, we grew 44 in worship and 22 in Sunday school. It was over a seven-month period. We hired Pastor Virgil Mills, and he came and was our pastor at that time. And when Pastor Mills came, we we made the transition from the Lake Avenue building to here. You see, we started construction the Monday after the funeral on Saturday. And so there was so much to accomplish, but God was with us, and God was faithful, and the hand of God empowered us to accomplish more than we could ever accomplish in our own strength. Pastor Mills was here for just a little over five years, and when he left, once again, I was the interim pastor. And again, the hand of God was with us, and we experienced growth. Our numbers were not as great. We only grew in four in worship at that time. But we grew in many other ways. We grew in unity. There was an exciting time in Pastor Edgar's life. As I said, Pastor Edgar, you lead us as God leads you. And we went from two styles of worship to one style of worship. And it was an exciting time in the life of the church. And God blessed and his hand was with us in a mighty way. Well, this is my third time to be your interim pastor. And just as God has been with us in the past, he will be with us as we move into the future. I had the utmost confidence in that. Once again, your pastoral staff covets your prayers as we endeavor to lead our congregation, in fulfilling the great commandment and the great commission. Please do not say, in four months when our new pastor comes, we will reap a harvest. For Jesus says in John 4:35, Open your eyes, the fields, they are ripe unto harvest. You see, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of revival. Today is the day of expectancy. God wants to do mighty things in our midst today. It's not out there. It's right here. The fields are ripe under harvest. During this interim period, we want to focus on two things. The presence of God and the purpose of God. For it is in his presence that his purpose is revealed to us. We want to be a people who consistently seek the Lord through prayer. The book of James instructs us, come near to God and he will come near to you. We want to seek the Lord through the study of his word. Did you bring your Bible with you today? It's important that you bring your Bible with you every week. We will study from the Word of God, you need to have a Bible. If you do not have a Bible that's your own, see an usher. See one of our pastors. We have, a, we have a drawer full of Bibles. And we'll be happy to give you one. When they're gone, we'll order some more. But you need to have a Bible. Truth is, if you're not bringing your Bible to church and studying it here, it's probably very likely that you're not studying it anywhere else. You need to get in the habit of studying the Word of God. We're going to quote a memory verse for this series as we look at Jesus' prayer, His high priestly prayer found in John chapter 17. It's found in 
John 17, 17, and 18. And I want you to hold up your Bibles and quote with me this memory verse. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Let's do that again. Help me out. I need to hear your voices. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. The presence and the purpose of God. It is in his presence that we are empowered and equipped by the Holy Spirit to fulfill his purpose. To love God and our neighbor. And to go and make disciples. I have a question for you this morning. Have you ever hurt someone and you didn't know it right away? The truth is, probably all of us could say yes to that question. We've offended someone and we didn't even know we offended them. I I always am a little bit uncomfortable when we have these services, kind of healing time, go to someone that you've offended. and and There's always somebody that comes to me and says, Rex, I have to ask for your forgiveness. And I'm thinking, I thought everything was fine. (laughs) Sometimes we unintentionally offend people. We don't mean to do so. I heard about a son who unintentionally hurt his mother's feeling. Uh, The son was a freshman in high school. And, and, you know, every year he would get gifts. And those gifts were, uh, well, it wasn't always exactly what he wanted. And so he would get the, you know, the gift and then he would take it back and he would exchange it for the gift that he wanted and that happened over a period of years and so in his freshman year of high school he said to his mom and his dad you know you give me these gifts then I return it and I get what I want why don't we just make it simpler just give me the money so the parents just agreed and said okay for your birthday we'll just give you thirty dollars because that's typically what we spend on your gift and and so they gave him thirty dollars Every year his birthday would roll around and he would get all these cards in the mail. And there was a card from mom and dad. And and mom would always write a special note in there, a word of encouragement. He would open all these cards and quickly dump them out and just see how much money he collected for his birthday. It was a great thing. It was a win-win from his perspective. Well, over time he noticed that these cards, they cost a lot of money. On the back of the one card it said four fifty. So he talked to his mom said, you know, mom, that's a waste of your time to go buy that card. And, and why don't you just give me thirty four fifty instead of you spending all that time trying to find a card? Well, the mom was a little bit reluctant, but she agreed that she would do that. And so he went off to college in his freshman year, you know, birthday rolled around and he got all these cards. And here comes mom's envelope. It was just an envelope. And inside there was a check for thirty four fifty. His sophomore year, it was a check for 35 because the cards that year went up a little bit. He thought this was a win-win and it was a great deal. His junior year, he went home for Thanksgiving. And while he was having a conversation, he realized that he had offended his mom. He, he didn't get it because, well, he's a guy. He said, Why would this offend you, mom? I mean, we agreed to this. Finally, she told him, you know, when I would buy a card for you, I would go to a store and I would purchase the card. But it it wasn't just 
here's a card and purchase it. I would go in and I would spend 20 to 30 minutes finding just the right card. And if I couldn't find just the right car at one store, I would go to the next store and I would look for just the right card. And, and if that store didn't have the right card, I would go to the next store. You see, it was important to me to express my love to you. Then in that card, once I found it, I would write words of encouragement. I would express how much your father and I love you and how proud we are of you. And every time you opened those cards and just dumped out the contents, it hurt me. She said, it made me feel like what you wanted from me was not me, but what I was able to give you. Did you hear that? She said, it made me feel like what you wanted from me was not me, but what I was able to give you. I'm afraid that far too often we care more about the blessings of God than we do the presence of God. We focus more on what God can give us than on who God is. You see, we find the purpose of God as we dwell in His presence. For three plus years, the disciples had spent their lives in the presence of the Messiah. During these years, the disciples witnessed many miracles. The healing of leprosy, the blind received sight, the lame and the paralyzed were made to walk, and the deaf could hear. The disciples witnessed the calming of the storm, the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus walking on water, and Lazarus, even though he had been dead for four days, was raised from the tomb. But now, the disciples... We're spending those last days with Jesus. And they were facing the frightening realization that Christ was leaving them. The thought of Him leaving was paralyzing to them. They depended on Him for everything. He had been their teacher, their protector, and the supplier of their needs. They trusted Christ for everything. Jesus, during this time, promised them that He would not leave them alone. John 16, 7 says, It is for your good I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. Verse 13 says, But when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. Understanding their fears, Jesus spent time with the disciples on the evening before His death. This is where we find this prayer, the high priestly prayer in John 17. We'll begin reading today at verse 6. In this prayer, verses 1 through 5, Christ says, Glorify your Son so the Son may glorify the Father. He says He prays for the security and the protection of His followers. He prays for their deliverance. He prays for their sanctification. And He prays for unity in truth. All requests were not only answered regarding the eleven, but they have been and are continually being answered in the experience of the family of faith today. Chuck and Carlo, this past week, uh, I saw them drive off on 
Saturday, on Monday. But before that happened, you know, we had a staff meeting together. It was a Tuesday before our celebration Sunday, last Sunday. And it was one of those moments where the Holy Spirit was with us and it was hard for us because we'd spent six and a half years together in ministry and there were a lot of tears and we hated to see him to go. We knew this is the last staff meeting. Oh, this is the last staff meeting. <laughs> in that time, Pastor Chuck came around and, and he prayed a prayer of blessing for each one of us. Put his hands on our shoulders and prayed for each of us individually. It was a precious moment. For all of us. Then we went to preachers and ministers and mates retreat. And, you know, we had our last lunch, our last dinner. You know, it's like we cried a lot. And uh, it was hard. It was hard to let go of, of Chuck and Carla. On, Saturday, on Sunday morning, um, they were struggling with all this as well, just saying goodbye to you and the congregation and and I talked to Carla the day before on Saturday. I said, Carla, now when you show up tomorrow, remember tomorrow's a day of celebration. We're going to celebrate the last six and a half years. We're done crying. We're not going to cry anymore. We're just going to celebrate, celebrate what God has done in our midst. She walked through the threshold of the church and immediately saw me. <laughs> Tears started coming. I said, Carla, don't do that. <laughs> Today's a day of celebration. It's hard to let go of someone that you love dearly. On Monday morning, I, I walked them out the door about 3 o'clock. Their cars were loaded, and they were headed towards Canton, Ohio. And I said, well, have a great life. <laughs> and, of course, we hit our, with our feet running. But the truth is, it's hard to say goodbye to people you love, people you have confidence in. And in this high priestly prayer, the disciples are struggling with the reality that the one with whom they have the utmost confidence is going to be with the Father. They're trying to comprehend all this. What does this mean for them in the future? And it's in this understanding that we have this prayer. Having prayed that the Father would glorify the Son, Jesus then begins to intercede for his disciples and the family of faith with this high priestly prayer. Look at verse 6 with me of John 17. It says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. You see, the name of God was so sacred to the Jews that they refused to pronounce it. Instead, they took the consonants from the name of God and added the vowels from the word Adonai, meaning Lord, creating the resulting word Yahweh. All this to avoid speaking the name of God. Jesus, however, not only revealed God's name, he spoke it, and shockingly, he took it for himself. And this outraged the Jews who sought to kill him because they thought this was blasphemy. You see, in three years... The time that Jesus spent with his disciples. Jesus revealed to mankind his nature, his attributes, all that God is was revealed to the disciples and to us. In verse 
4 of John 17, it says, I have brought you glory on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Jesus prays to the Father and he says, Father, I, I completed everything on the syllabus. There's a check by everything but one item, dying for mankind. <laughs> and, and I imagine there was a certain amount of excitement even in Jesus' voice to know that all that he had set out to do, he had accomplished. A sense of accomplishment. I've completed. What does that mean? It means he communicated in such a way to the followers of Christ that they fully understood who God was. The second part of that verse, chapter six says, chapter 17, verse 6 says, They were yours and you gave them to me. And they have obeyed your word. What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? It means to be a disciple. What does it mean to be a disciple? A disciple is one who's obedient to the word. 1 John 2, 3 says it this way. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his words, God's love is truly made complete in him. God's love is made complete as we are obedient to the word. You see, it's when we spend time in his presence that he empowers us to be obedient. And his love is then made complete in us. This is how we know we love him or we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Are you walking as Jesus did? Are, is your life a reflection of Christ? Are you being obedient to the word? Are you willing to do whatever Jesus wants you to do? Are you willing to be whatever Jesus wants you to be? Are you willing to go wherever Jesus wants you to go? You see, Jesus offers no cheat grace. He does not call you to be a nice believer. He calls you to be a committed follower of Christ, a disciple. You see, it is in obedience, dwelling in the presence of God, that he reveals himself to mankind. He spent those years with his disciples, and it was in his presence that they began to grasp who God was. God clarifies in the midst of obedience, not beforehand. It is in obedience, it is in being faithful followers of Christ that we discover that reason for which we were created. It's in His presence that we understand His purpose. However, there's a big difference between trying to live for Jesus and allowing Jesus to live through us. We can struggle and, and oh, I want to be and try to make it happen. I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to live right. And start allowing Christ to live in us and through us and empower us to become the person he's created us to be. Philippians 2.13 says it this way, For it is God who works in you to will and act according to his good purpose. John 17, 7. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. Jesus is saying, 
The disciples get it. They understand that everything I have has come from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They not only understand it now, but they have accepted this, and they have embraced it. They knew as certainly that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. You see, the time the disciples spent in the presence of Christ resulted in a settled conviction concerning the deity of Christ. It's in the presence of God that we begin to grasp who He is. And all that God is is available to us. However, Jesus' confidence was founded not in the will or the resolve of the eleven, but in the will and the power of God Himself. After all, these were ordinary men with ordinary weaknesses, just like you and me. Peter was the impetuous one. We find Peter drawing a sword and cutting off the priest, high priest's right ear. We find Thomas, who was a skeptic. He said, unless I touch his nail-pierced hands and put my hand in his side, I, I cannot believe. James and John were hot-headed and known as the sons of thunder. Matthew tells us that there was quarreling amongst themselves who would sit at his right and who would sit at his left. And Jesus answered, whoever wants to be great among you must be a servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just the Son of Man did not come to serve, be served, but to serve. He turned our world upside down. From a human's perspective, this ragamuffin group of followers of Christ was anything but extraordinary or impressive. They were ordinary, just like you and me. Yet like us, they were called to continue the work of Jesus. And we are called to continue His work. John 17, 9, we find more of this prayer. Jesus said, I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. The name that you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. Every 40 seconds in the United States, a child is missing or abducted. That's 2,000 children per day. 8,000 children per year. Of the 800,000 children reporting missing annually, approximately 69,000 of those children are abducted. Family members count for 82% of those abductions. Non-family members count for 18%. Of non-family abductions, 37% are strangers. It's hard for us to imagine children being taken. This week, I, I read in the New York Post about a woman who had left her home and her children, four children, a son 17, a daughter 15, 
daughter 13 and daughter 7, to go and to be a part of the protests at Wall Street. She said at age 38, I'm not planning on going home. I have no idea what the future holds, but I'm here indefinitely. I can't imagine someone abandoning their children. They're precious to us. Jesus said to the Father, protect them. You have given me these, and I give them back to you. Protect them. When Tyler was in third or fourth or fifth grade, I forget the year, um, her, mom, her grandmother gave her a jean jacket. It's kind of a cool jacket. It was really trendy at the time. And she put on the jacket Tyler's name. Well, Debbie, when we received the gift, she was concerned because Tyler's name was on the jacket because she was fear, fearful that somebody might take our daughter. And that it was advised that you not put your children's name on their clothes. And so we talked to my mom about that and we removed the stitching, took Tyler off. She wore the jacket, went to school. One day I was at the office and I got a phone call. It was from Debbie. She was panicked. She was afraid. She was just she could hardly speak, and I knew something serious was wrong. And she said, somebody has Tyler. And I said, what do you mean somebody has Tyler? She said, I just got this phone call. It was from a man. He said, I have your daughter, Tyler Person, and she's in my bed. So immediately I told her, Debbie, call the school and call the police. So I, I said, you call the school, I'll call the police. And so immediately I got in the car, and I headed towards the house, and a drive that would typically take me 15 minutes. Was, I was there in 10, and... And got home, and by this time, Debbie had got word from the school that Tyler was in school, and they brought Tyler to the phone and let Debbie talk to her on the phone and assure Tyler that was there. The police took this seriously because there was a man sitting outside the bus stop that day, and they sat and had an undercover cop there for the next week. It scared us. We, we were physically trembling at the thought of losing our daughter. When Tyler was born, it was a difficult labor. It was in 1982 here at Parkview Hospital in Fort Wayne, and, and they did not have anesthesia at that time, or not, but epidurals and that kind of thing. And so you, it was natural childbirth. It was not easy. It was a long labor. And there were some complications. And when Tyler finally came, I was in the room by myself with this little baby girl. And I held her, and I thanked God for her. And I held her up to the Father as high as I could. And I said, Lord, you have given me this gift, this precious child. I give her back to you. Jesus says, Lord, you have given me these. Protect them. I give them back to you. In the congregation today, I want us to stand, and Pastor Edgar's going to, we're a little bit late, but that's okay. Pastor's going to come and, and lead us in a song, but let's stand. And I want us to pray as we, are, we sing the song, We Are Standing on Holy Ground. Mm-hmm.
going to sing the song and then we're going to close in prayer. But the truth is, the family of faith is not alone. God the Father has the world in His hands. And Jesus prayed for you, the future family of faith. You have given me these. And I give them back to you for your safe care. And He's not left us alone. He's given us His Holy Spirit. And as we move forward into the future that God has for us, we move forward with an expectation of God's presence, God's deliverance, God's hope, and God's future. And we believe that this is a holy place. And it's not about people, but it's about the presence of God. For when we enter and live in His presence, His purpose is revealed to us. His purpose daily. Those divine moments, those opportunities that are ours every day, we will see as we dwell in His presence. We need this place, this holy place, to empower us as we go to be His servants. Let's sing together.